Amen. All right, so we're going to be continuing in our study on the, uh, on the Messianic Psalms. And these are Psalms that really we're just pressing into Jesus uh, through the Old Testament prophecies that, that, that talk about his birth, uh, his life, uh, his coming reign. And I believe that, that the Gospels have given us so much, but also as we look at the Old Testament and we see some of the, um, the prophecies, they even... Uh, bring us deeper into the life, into understanding the life of Jesus Christ as we uh, look forward to, um, to his coming. And so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 22, which is written by, the, by King David in a time of great struggle and suffering. And Psalm 22 is actually a very important psalm. It's cited 24 times uh, in the New Testament, and it's mostly in reference to Jesus' passion to his crucifixion, that this psalm really reflects uh, a faith that is uh, a response in, in times of abandonment, in times when uh, we feel that uh, there is a sense of, of suffering, of unjust suffering, and that's what this, uh, this uh, passage or this psalm is really is kind of a raw crying out of someone in suffering and struggle. And it not only is the reflection of David and his immediate circumstances, but it also gives us insight into Jesus and what he was thinking or what was going on in his heart as he hung on the cross. And this will bring us not just in terms of helping us in our times of struggle, but really as the whole of scripture, it, it, it brings us to Jesus and it brings us to a reminder of really how blessed we are. Uh, to know Jesus Christ. So if you turn with me to Psalm 22, uh, verse 1, and let's stand in reverence for the word of God. Psalm 22, verse 1. And as we read this, you'll recognize some of the verses because, again, they come up in the Gospels. So reading from Psalm 22, verse 1. This is a Psalm of David. And he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, and I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the heavenly one, and you are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust, and they trusted you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved, and, and in you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Skipping down to verse 16. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all the bones, all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. I will declare your name to my brothers to the in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly before those who fear you, and I will fulfill my vows, for the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules 
over all the nations. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, as we study the psalm, we're going to see what we can learn from Jesus, the suffering servant. And so, so as we look at this, there's three things we want to see from this theme. First of all, we're going to see uh, what makes God's silence so difficult. The second thing we want to look at is where can we find hope in the midst of suffering? And then finally, what can we learn? How do we respond to the suffering? Of Jesus. So let's look at the first. How do we respond when God seems silent? You know, even though we know that God is faithful, that He is here, that He is listening, there are times when we know uh, He is silent uh, in accordance to His will. Now, this psalm we need to keep in mind is written as we read these words. It's written by a guy who's been through a lot of difficult times. Okay, he's throughout his life. He's been through many struggles, but yet he writes and says he's tasted of the goodness of God. King David has walked with God uh, for years. He's considered a man after God's own heart. And yet in this, in, in this person's heart, we see this heartfelt cry in verse 1. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And here we see for David, it's not just that God is not immediately acting to rescue him, but God actually seems far. He says, he emphasizes the word, you're so far away from saving me. You're so far away uh, from my cries. And so the first thing we see that makes it difficult when God is silent is that we know um, that God hears us. We know that he hears us. And in verse two, you see this contrast. David cries out. He says, you know, my God, I cry out by day. You do not answer. By night, I'm not silent. And there's a sense that verse 22 emphasizes this constant, um, this constant sense of, of, of David attempting to, to, to speak out or to persuade God. He talks about groaning, crying out all night. I'm silent. I'm not silent. And yet God in contrast to that, it says that he does not answer. See, David says, I know you hear me because I'm crying out day and night. I'm saying all these things, but yet um, you don't hear me. And, that's, and you, don't, you don't respond. And so that's the first area that makes it painful for us in times of struggle. The second thing that makes God's silence difficult is God's past faithfulness. Uh, we know that God has been faithful in the past. In verse four, it says, to you, in you our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you and you delivered them. Uh, they cried out to you and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. In verse nine, it says, yet you brought me out of the womb, meaning God, from my very birth, you were there. From my birth, I was cast upon you. It's kind of like uh, a mother when the baby is first born, they take the baby and put it right on her chest and she's able to hold the baby the moment the baby's born. And he's saying, from the very time that I was born, God, it was like you placed me right in your, your arms, like you're my mother, you're my parent, you're the one who birthed me, you're the one who will hold me, love me, and protect me. And, and, and he's saying, you know, I see that, uh, that God, you have uh, delivered your people. I see people who, um, who struggle with the same struggles that I have, and I've seen you rescue them, and you've been faithful to, to your people, um, and you've been with me all of this time. 
And, and David's saying, well, why at this time um, do you remain silent? You know, sometimes we look at this and we say, you know, in my struggle too, you know, I've seen, God, how you answer prayers for this person or that person. And, and God, I'm waiting for you to, to answer my prayers. And, and God is silent. Finally, God's silence um, is hard when suffering is unjust. Uh, David says in verse 7, he says, All who uh, see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, since he delights in him. Verse 12, he describes the enemies at, as these brute animals. He says, these bulls surround me. The strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. The roaring lions tearing their prey. Um, the dogs, verse 16, have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. And, uh, and, and they pierced my hands and feet. Again, you hear kind of, you could see these images of Christ in this, but, but the immediate context is David saying, there are all these enemies around me and, and they're like wild animals. And you know, like when we suffer for our own fault, I mean, sometimes that's okay. We say, well, I mean, that's my own fault. Um, I kind of deserve this. I made really bad decisions, and, and that's why I'm struggling. It's okay. But when it's unjust, um, it's difficult. Because, you know, the, he's saying, well, the people that are doing this, it's not like they're justified in doing it. They're wild animals. Lions are like savage. There's, there's no moral uh, uh, reason for them to be doing these things. There's no reason why David should be suffering this way, and yet he is. And, um, and so he's saying, you know, look at all these things that are happening to me, God. I, can he you, I know you can hear me. Um, I know that you're faithful, and, and this is unjust. And he's really crying out um, to the Lord in his prayers. And so what does this say to us about, about prayer and suffering? To me, it really does say that for prayer to be real, uh, prayer must be honest. What, what do I mean by that? Um, I was reading in this book called The Language of Tears, and it really speaks of this idea that it's okay, it's okay to pray to God and say, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. Now, we may say, well, that's sacrilegious. How can you ever say that, Pastor Harrison? And I've heard people, they've come to me and pray, and they say, you know, I feel, they, they will say, Pastor Harrison, I feel really guilty about how I am feeling. I feel angry at God, and I feel really guilty about it. And my response is, is how you feel. I mean, you can't feel guilty, you know, about how you feel. You cannot deny how you feel. It's how you feel. God God can accept that and take it. He knows that you don't believe that he actually abandoned you. But you can feel like he did. That's okay. I know that God, God I know that you know in your heart that, that, that God loves you and that God listens to your prayer, but it's okay at times to say, there are times, God, when I feel like you can't hear me. In his book, Language of Tears, David Runcorn writes this. He says, there's nothing sadder than a church where every song must be victory, where every prayer must be full of faith, and every face must be smiling and joyful. And you say, well, wait, isn't that what a church is supposed to be? 
Isn't that the ideal church? He says, no, there's nothing sadder than that. He says, it means that we can never offer our tears as well as our smiles, our questions as well as our certainties, or our wounds as well as our victories. It means we are always keeping Christ out of the very places where we need him the most. And when I read this, I just believe it was so powerful. That yeah, at a church, we do say that in the end, there is victory, yes. That in the end, that, 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 that prayers are answered, filled with faith, that yes, as a church together, we do smile, we're joyful in the Lord, that that's something very special that the hope of Jesus Christ gives us that the world does not have. But yet at the same time, that's not all that we are. That there are times when we too, as, follow, as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of Jesus, where, where we do have tears as well as smiles, where we do have questions, and we don't have all the answers, where we do feel wounded, and we feel like so many burdens on our lives. And, 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 and if, if we can't acknowledge these things, if we feel guilty about these things, I do believe that we are indeed keeping Jesus out of the places where we need him the most. That if we are a church where people cannot cry out to the Lord in their pain without judgment, we keep Jesus out of the places where the church needs him to be. the places where, where he will do his most powerful work of transformation. Jesus said very clearly, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. It means that the church should be a place where the sick, that means all of us, we can cry out to God without judgment, without 20 self-appointed spiritual doctors you know, trying to give us advice and tell us what to do but rather we be a place where, where we can find uh, God's healing in God's healing community, that that's that living hope is supposed to be. And that means that when each one of us here, when we struggle, when we have times of difficulty, when we feel like giving up, we can have a freedom from guilt. That if our minds are strong in God's word, it's okay, David cried out in hard times when he felt like God was silent. That when we draw close to brothers and sisters who are in pain, and trust me, there are people, brothers and sisters right now who are in pain, um, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to always provide a solution. Sometimes we feel like we don't wanna draw close because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to th make things better. Um, but maybe that's not what God is calling us to do. Maybe God is just calling us to be Jesus to our friends. Um, uh, just to be, be there together. Now we know that the word of God is not just simply for ourselves. You know, it's about Jesus. And so we do need to ask the second question is that how does God's silence draw us close to the heart of Jesus. Why does God keep silent? Um, what is his purpose in this? Um, when you read this psalm and you look through the life of David, it's very hard to pinpoint 
you know, what point in David's life he's writing this psalm. It doesn't say in the psalm, and it's hard to find actually a situation where he was in this, like literally, you know, it's almost like they're executing him. But David, in, in, in poetry, he, he describes the, 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 the turmoil in his heart, what he's thinking, and he gives us this picture of what a godly person, now he's a godly person, what he experiences uh, in suffering as he's waiting upon God. And, and what I believe this does is it really gives us a window into, um, it gives us a window into Jesus' heart. Um, when we read the Gospels, there, there, there's like four descriptions of, of the crucifixion of Christ, right? And they're pretty similar. And they'll have like, you know, the, the, the seven statements of Jesus on the cross and what he said. Uh, we have a little bit of, you know, what he did before that when he's praying in the garden. Um, but other than that, we don't have like the emotion that went on in his heart. I mean, we don't know that. It doesn't say uh, what he felt in his heart, um, what he was going through. We can only imagine it. Um, but Psalm 22, actually, when we look at what David was thinking in Psalm 22, I believe that we can get a picture of what God is doing. He's revealing kind of what's going on in Jesus' heart as, as he hangs on the cross. Because, see, you, what you have here is you have Jesus crying out to God on the cross, saying, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus knows God listens. If, if anything, God listens to Jesus. He says, you know, whatever I ask, the God, my Father grants me. Remember, we learned that last week. Whatever I ask, God says, God says, and now, now I'm going to give that to you, that whatever you ask, God will grant it to you. And so Jesus knows, whatever I ask, God can grant it to me. And he is crying out to God, saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why is it now that it's so hard for me to be on this cross, um, to die for the world? I know that it is your will, but the struggle inside of being someone who, who knows that God hears. Um, of the, the idea of, 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 of the fact that he's delivered, you know, he's delivered before. He has saved people before, and yet he's not doing it now. Jesus endured constant, intimate, perfect fellowship with God. In fact, my pastor, a long time ago when I was young, he told me that one of the, he said the greatest suffering on the cross made for Jesus was not necessarily the physical pain of, of the nails. It was the spiritual pain of, for the first time in his life, uh, being separated from God. The only way that Jesus uh, could bear the burden of sin was to, to, when he bears the burden of sin, God has to turn away. He cannot rescue his son because his son is bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. And so for the first time, he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first time when this, this, this beautiful uh, eternal fellowship has, in a sense, been broken for the sake of sin. It, it, it's a father turning his back and saying, I can't save you when his son is crying out. And I remember my father, my dad, he's a non-Christian, and he was sitting in that service too. He just was there. And he came out and asked me, he says, oh, I, can't believe that, I can't believe in a God who would turn his back on his own son. He says, I just can't. No father would ever do that. No father would ever turn.
turn his back on his own son. It's just not, it, it, it's too painful, it can't be done. And, and I tried to share with him why God had to do that. And really how painful that would be now as a father myself to say, you know, what would be the most painful thing? To see my son suffering, to know I can rescue him, but to have to turn my back from his cries because I know that his suffering is for a purpose, for my purpose. That, that's the suffering that, that Jesus endured when he was on the cross. Um, when, it's, when David is speaking about animals who are savage, who, uh, who ridicule him, who spit on him, and laugh at him, and mock him, um, this is the same thing David just saying, it's just how unfair it is to, to endure this and, and to endure that ridicule, that Jesus understands what it means to be abandoned. Jesus understands what it means to suffer unjustly. Uh, Jesus understands what it means to, um, to feel the silence of God. And, and Paul says that if, if we're suffering today and, 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 and we want to share the heart of God, uh, then we must share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We must be able to understand what Jesus went through in order to grow, to be like him, to endure his suffering. Um, this brings us to, sorry, this brings us to a second point. Where do we find hope in suffering? Uh, sorry, I'm lost here. Where do we find hope in suffering? Psalm 22, in Psalm 22, 23, actually, there's, a, there's this twist, which is really interesting if you, if you look at the psalm. Uh, because it changes from a, a lament to a praise, and it's really kind of... Uh, it's almost awkward in the way that it changes. Because in verse 24, it, uh, 23, it says, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, praise him. Revere him, you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised, disdained the suffering of, of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he's lifted his, um, he's heard his cry for help. And, and, and it's just so different. And I really believe that when, when David's writing this, he's writing this post-suffering. Like this is after all these things has happened. And so between verse 22 and 23, Yahweh has, God has responded to his prayers, has rescued him, has uh, been faithful to his promises. God has finally rescued him. And, uh, and, and he says that now there are songs of praise. Instead of the taunts of, of mockers, they're being drowned out by the sounds of praise. That Yahweh will not hide his face. That there will be a time when God will listen, when he will rescue. And, uh, and, and, and we can cry out and, and bring those praises into the community. I remember um, on the news, uh, this is local news, so I don't know if other people had saw it. Um, but, and so it must be somewhere in the Bay Area, and I can't remember exactly, you know, the whole story, but there was a person, it's probably in Oakland, um, this person uh, who had stolen a car, but the little child was in the back seat, and he stole the car, he's driving off, right? And the child was, was like, you know, crying, and, and the guy just telling him to shut up. And then the child, he started singing, 
He was singing praises to God. He was saying, I know this song that my mama taught me by Hezekiah Walker, and it's like, praise Jesus, I praise God. I mean, it was a praise song. And he just sang it over and over again in the backseat, and the guy says, get down on the floor, don't let people see you, I'm going to kill you, you know? And he just kept singing it. And the guy said, shut up, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to kill you. And he just kept singing louder and louder and louder. And the guy said, shut up, shut up, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder your parents. And he kept singing praises to Jesus, singing praises. I didn't know what else to do but just sing praises to Jesus, praises to God. And finally the guy says, I can't take it anymore. He stopped the car, he says, get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the way. And then he just drove off. And then the kid, the, the police finally found the kid, reunited him with his parents. I don't know if they caught the guy who stole the car or anything like that. And they interviewed the boy. And the boy says, I was scared to death. I didn't know what else to do. But just sing a song that my mama taught me when I was little, just to praise Jesus. Just to praise Jesus when, even when things are the worst, even when I'm going to, you know, the guy's telling me, he's guys swearing at me, the guy's doing all these things, all I could think of is just, I got to just keep praising Jesus. I got to just keep singing the praise of Jesus. And, and, and God delivered him. And God delivered him. And I, I think about this, and I, I think about this picture of, of this psalm where, you know, the, the, um, the, the animals or the people against David are crying out saying, you know, God, if, if, if you trust in God, why hasn't he delivered you? What's wrong? You know, your faith is useless. You know, shut up. I'm going to kill you. You're terrible. Things like that. And yet the, the, the sounds of praise will drown out, um, it will drown out the curses of Satan. The sounds of the praise of his people, of the victory of Jesus, even before the victory is given, that the sound and the singing of praise, that, that, that David is crying out and, and saying to his people, that, uh, calling his people to praise God for his deliverance and his faithfulness and saying, let's drown out uh, the, the words of Satan that tell us that God doesn't listen, that God doesn't care. That's the words of, of Satan, you know, filling our minds with this. And we sing songs of praise that ultimately our, our, our songs, our prayers of sorrow are gonna be filled with, with songs of praise. We don't have to get there right away. It doesn't mean God's always gonna answer in exactly how we ask. It doesn't mean he's gonna do it right away. But it does mean that God is faithful. He does hear. In his timing, he will respond. And, uh, and so we always have hope. We always have hope. That there will be time when we will, uh, God will not fail to, to, to hear our cries. And our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, just, it's, 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 it's the same thing as, as when Jesus rose from the dead. That was the, that's the turning point. If you want to say, okay, something happened in David's life that was a turning point that, that changed his sorrows cries to calling people to praise. We don't know what that turning point is for him. Because historically, he didn't say. He just went from one to the other. But we do know in Jesus Christ what the turning point was, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that he was hanging on the cross saying, it, uh, uh, pleading to God, why have you forsaken me? And, and, and dying on the cross, being buried in the grave. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and there's the turning point in which, which his people gather around him in praise because he has victory over death. And this is, this is the... Uh, uh, 
the, the, the praise that, that, that we share, that we experience because we share in, in the same resurrection. We talked again before that we share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. What is that? That's, that's the power of the victory of, of the resurrection from the dead. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how not will we, will we also graciously give us all things? That's the victory of the resurrection of the dead. For your sake, Paul said this, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus, um, who loved us. And um, he's speaking again of, of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And finally, we look at the suffering of Jesus what do we learn from the sufferings of Jesus? Now, if you look at the verses, I mean, there's, there's all these verses that we hear, you know, in the, um, during his crucifixion, David, David said it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that. Uh, he trusts in the Lord, the Lord to rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. Jesus, I mean, those were what the people were saying. That's from the Messiah, the Messiah right? I, did anybody, I don't know if anybody sings the Messiah anymore, but in Christmas time, we always, this is one of my favorite choruses, actually, in the Messiah. Um, and, uh, uh, but that's what they were saying about Jesus. And then, again, this one, of course, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's exactly what the Romans did for Jesus, uh, did to Jesus. And yet, when, when, when David, now he has experienced his, quote, his resurrection, what is he starts saying. He starts giving this song of praise, and what's interesting about this song of praise is that, um, that when, when David uh, says these things, um, he does not say, he doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't say, oh, look what God did for me. Um, here's, he rescued me from this. He, he did this. He, he, he saved me from this. He made uh, the, 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 um, the, the, the enemy uh, run away or whatever. He doesn't talk about these things. He talks about um, the kingdom of God, which is really interesting because he doesn't say, uh, I'm gonna be eat and, sat eat and satisfied. He says, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And you think, what does... What does David's rescuing have to do with this? It seems very odd to him to, to start singing about this instead. What is he saying? He's saying this, he, he, he's speaking about not just the fact that he's rescued, he's speaking about his hope. He's speaking about, prophetically, he's speaking about what's going to happen when Jesus comes. And he's saying, the poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May the hearts, may your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Um, all the families of nations will bow down before you. Dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over all nations. He's speaking about Jesus when Jesus comes. He's saying, even if, you know, now that I'm rescued or, or in my suffering, these are the things that I'm praising God for. He's saying the poor will eat and be satisfied. This is what's going to happen when Jesus comes. He's saying that to the ends of the earth, all the families, all the nations will praise Jesus. 
That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes. He's saying the posterity will serve him, meaning uh, uh, fathers and, and, and their sons, uh, grandmothers and granddaughters, uh, uh, the youth, the, 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 those, the next generation, that all of these will continue to serve him when Jesus comes. He's saying that, he's saying, God, you have, he said in the last verse, he says, for you have done this. What does this mean? You have done this. He's saying because you have accomplished righteousness through Jesus Christ, meaning you have done everything that is needed for all of these things to happen, for the poor to be satisfied, for the ends of the earth to come to know Jesus, for people, all generations, to know Jesus and worship him. He says you have through your death and resurrection have made it possible for all these things to happen now. And that's, that's really what the suffering of Jesus reminds him of when he thinks of, of his suffering. So we think about this, go backwards all the way, okay? When we suffer and we think of the, sil- the silence of God, you know, we can just think about Oh, why isn't God saving me? Oh, I'm looking forward to the day when I won't have these sorrows anymore. I mean, we could, we could look forward to that as our hope. And it's probably true. God will rescue us. He will give us a time of rejoicing again. But, but that's, not, that's not why we go through suffering and struggle. We go through suffering and struggle so, so that, 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 that we can see Jesus, that we can be reminded of, of his suffering and struggle. Of, of what he went through on the cross and, and what it means to have this victory. And, and we, we, we go through that so that we can see that when Christmas comes and we think about celebrating Christmas and, and, and we think about Christmas and I love, we love Christmas time. We love the thought of you know, relaxing and enjoying and, and having, um, having uh, you know, lots of good food, presents, things like that. But I think the, thing that, the one thing that, that we're reminded as we think about Christmas is that Jesus has done it. God has fulfilled all of righteousness. God has, through the, through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ and his suffering, he's provided a way so that the hungry will no longer be hungry, so that the entire world will know and worship Jesus, so that all of posterity, posterity for all time will always have the praise of God on their mouth. That's, that's what Jesus brings um, and that's what we celebrate in Christmas time. And so as we continue um, to anticipate this time, let us spend a time of, of, of prayer together. And as we think about the struggles and, and the difficulties in our lives right now, let it really bring us to, to Jesus Christ, to be reminded of what he has done for us. Every sorrow or struggle that you feel is something that, that our Lord Jesus Christ, he himself felt as well, so that he could be with us and know us. And every struggle and suffering that we feel, um, God promises that we have a hope. <laughs> the hope that goes beyond just us, um, but it goes to the ends of the earth. Let's go ahead and just spend some time in prayer before him.